As men, we can become preoccupied with financial success. I've certainly felt that at times myself. But the team and I have designed a quiz that's going to help you improve your intentions to achieve better results for your career and business. And there's a link to it in the show notes. I'll tell you more at the end of this episode. But for now, enjoy listening. I wrote it and I looked at it and I was like, if I post this, one of two things is going to happen. People are going to think I'm a loser, but so what, right? Who cares? I do care, but say what? Like, let's just be brave about it. And the second thing was, what if something awesome happens? Welcome to Stories of Men Beneath the Surface. I'm Alex Melia. Join me as we discover what it means to be a man in the modern era. Today's episode is about the risk of losing our identity if we lose our job and learning to ask the question, what else defines me? Howard has had a tough few years. On top of the pandemic, his father passed away and he went through a divorce. Then he was made redundant from his job as a lawyer. It was the first time in almost two decades that he didn't have a job and he was stuck. It was getting past lunchtime. I was sort of sat in my pants on the couch thinking, this is the cliched unemployed guy, right? And I'm sat there thinking, what the hell am I going to do? And I knew I had these sort of 2,000 followers on LinkedIn. And I know that I got a job through LinkedIn before. And I thought, I'm just going to say it. It's been shit three years. I've lost my job. I feel like a failure. That classic innate thing where you think you're a failure for not having a job. I'm pretty sure it's not failure, but I still feel it. And I just think it's important to say that if you think that someone can get through three years, well, that's shit. And they can still be turning up to work every day. If you can employ someone like that, then give me a call. Maybe someone out there will say something or offer me something that actually makes me go, that's what I want to do. I think I want a bit of validation as well. I wrote it in my boxer shorts on the sofa, on my iPhone. I genuinely thought I'd get 15 likes and a recruiter would call me. <laughs> I thought, this is me telling the world, basically. Like, I was completely caught up in the idea of what people think of me. And also terrified that it wouldn't even make a sound. It would be like a pin dropping in the, you know, on the floor, like nothing. In the back of my mind, I was thinking, I'm a fairly accomplished lawyer. If I write this, it could be, you know, on my career, because people might think, well, we're not employing him again. But also I did think there must be young people out there struggling if I'm struggling. So maybe it will be at least something for them to see. I wrote it and I looked at it and I was like, if I post this, one of two things is going to happen. People are going to think I'm a loser, but so what, right? Who cares? I do care, but so what? Like, let's just be brave about it. And the second thing was, what if something awesome happens? And I just sort of took it genuinely, like in a film. I was like, I took a deep breath. I was like, fuck it, boom. And I posted on a Friday afternoon, which is arguably the worst time to post anything on LinkedIn. I obviously went back on it a couple of times in the afternoon, like just because I was nervous about it. And I saw like, you know, 25 likes, 30 likes. And I was like, oh, at least people are liking it. At least it's getting out there. And then about nine o'clock at night, it was like 300. And I was like, none of my posts have ever got 300 likes. So I was like, this is real. And then Saturday morning, there were two and a half thousand likes on it. 1800 comments. 
670 direct messages, 16 different job offers in the first three days. Tell us kind of the comment that's meant the most to you and the comment that you uh, didn't like. The best one was someone who said, hi, are you Mr. Quinlivan's son? He taught me English and he was the best teacher I ever had. And I sent back saying, yeah, that, uh, you know, I was, so, I was like, so excited. I was like, oh my God, yeah, that's my dad. She went then went a really lovely message saying, just to let you know, I'm a lawyer because of him. It, amazing. And because uh, of my dad passed away, you know, but, and, and then so many other people then went, oh my God, the power of LinkedIn. Can you see it? You know, because they could watch that conversation in real time. And I was like, thank you so much. It means so much to me. And it would mean so much to him because he loved his job. He loved his students. The worst comment? Get a job. <laughs> Someone says, get a job. Why, why did that upset you? It was a shit joke. It was something like, it was something like, get a job. And another one, which was also was equal to that, was like, you know, boohoo, a lawyer loses his job. And I was like, well, if you'd read the post, you'd understand that it's much more about losing your job. Um, but also I was like, that's two out of 1,800 comments. You know what I mean? I, I'm, that's not bad. Yeah. I expected yeah. it. Amazing, isn't it? You know, because usually you would get a few more haters on, on board than that. Let's talk about why you felt like you were a failure and how that makes you address who you are as a man because we do have this sort of attachment to an identity thing of that this is my job and this is who i am i lose that job and i'm almost less of a man why did you feel like that um ego i think so if i was to unravel it i would say that i went into law because i wanted to impress my parents and because although i wanted to be an artist they weren't prepared to fund me going to the university to knob about in a in a commune for five years or something. So I was told to get a proper degree, basically. My parents were lovely in many ways, but one of the things they were was also acad academics. They were both teachers. Had I known that I could have done a history degree and then transferred into law if I wanted to, I probably would have done that. But I went and did a pure law degree to impress my parents, to impress everybody to say I've got a law degree because it sounds good. So you have this immediate thing around about 17 years of age where I want to impress people. That has pervaded my life throughout my career the idea that when i say to people oh i'm a lawyer there is something attached to that that must mean he's intelligent that must mean he's he's hardcore and so there's this kind of a shroud myself and as many lawyers do we shroud ourselves in this sort of veneer of invis invincibility and so failure is the other side of that coin that if you are completely completely connected and attuned to this idea of yourself that is inviolable cannot can be broken as it were, then if someone takes that away from you, ultimately, that's a large part of your psyche that is stripped away. And you have to look at yourself and go, what am I then? Now, I, I know that I'm all these other things. And to be honest with you, I'm lucky because I've always known that. On my LinkedIn profile, I've always had the work me and the me me because I, I split myself in two. When I first started working as a lawyer, I had wetsuits in the van. I had, I had suits in the van and I'd go around all the magistrates court, but I, I fit in a surf in between, back and forth. Back and forth. So I always knew who I was at that point. But the problem is, is you're, you're told, don't play, don't be stupid, knuckle down, do your job, get a career. So my parents always rolled their eyes when I said I was surfing because they were like, oh, he's just a waster. Oh, he's just going to waste his life. Oh, you know, and it wasn't seen as, a, as, as valuable. Whereas being a lawyer was seen as valuable and I wanted my parents to be proud of me. I went to, to, to do my diploma in law, my legal practice course, which was the hardest year, 18 months actually, because I failed my exams the first time around, of my life. I mean, there were lots of messages saying, maybe, are you sure this is for you? <laughs> like if I look back, there's been a few signposts along the way. But I've sort of rumbled along 
coasting most of the time, trying to chat up girls, and um, just generally trying to have as many relationships as I could while studying. What I wanted to talk about is go back to what we said about the ego. The first few years of me starting my business, I've had my business for nine years now, but the first three years were just constant failure. And we wrap this failure into who we are as people. The way that we see what we do in our jobs and our careers, we put it as part of us as people, but it's not who we are. I agree. So it's very difficult for us to separate that. Especially if you've wrapped yourself in it, like deliberately, you've, if you've actively said, I am going to be this. And, and that's a, I think that's where we have to take some personal responsibility. I was conscious that I had said, I will be this and I will be a success, whatever that was. And basically, each time that I got a little taste of that success, whether it was passing exams or getting a certificate or whatever it was, I felt good about myself. So it's that thing where you get pleasure, you derive pleasure from winning cases, um, you know, taking on new clients, KPIs, you know, billing. It's all kind of funnels, funnels into this dopamine kind of feeling you get. Mm. You mentioned expectations and we create these expectations for ourselves. And if we meet them or surpass them, great. But it, sometimes we create these massive expectations that we can't possibly meet. And I think that's where we've got to be careful when we create those. So you created certain expectations for yourself. And when you've not been able to live up to them, that's when it's caused the feelings of I'm a failure, I'm this, I'm that. And it doesn't, it doesn't help us at all as men. The expectation was also the kind of the thing you're chasing, you never catch. And because it remains an idea, it's very easy to... It's easy to create it because you don't have to work very hard to create an expectation that's in a bubble up here. It's not really tangible. You don't actually really have to look directly at it very hard. So it remains this sort of amorphous, kind of esoteric mm. thing. And you never really know what that is because you never achieve it. It's that constant thing of like, come on, chase me, chase me. And you'll, once you get there, you'll feel fulfillment. And of course, we know fulfillment isn't about necessarily chasing dreams. It's about mm. centering yourself in what you've got. And, you know, I've, I've always been lucky that I've had a lot of things. I don't think I've lost sight of the things I've had, but I always wanted more. And I thought that winning, I thought that um, success was constantly the chase. Mm. And to be honest with you, even now, I couldn't tell you necessarily what that was, but I didn't feel like I was enough. I think that's what it comes down to is we feel like I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not ambitious enough. It made me think about when we talk about expectations, it made me think of when you were telling your story and you were saying about, I hoped it would get 10 likes, 20 likes, 30 likes or whatever. And, you know, it went on to have this huge impact. And the reason why I think it was so impactful is because it was so relatable. We're in this really difficult economy right now that's inevitably only going to get worse. There's a lot of people losing their jobs and I'd be curious to know how many of those people, maybe you can tell me from the comments, how many of those people are just lost their job recently or feel like they're on the verge of losing or they have this irrational fear they're going to lose it. That's why I think it was so powerful. But my question to you is, how would you have felt if it not even got five likes? Because you've created this expectation it's going to get this many likes and it did not achieve that. How would you have felt? I genuinely thought if I get like 100 likes or like 50 likes or something, which is more than an average, as long as this does better than my average post, I'll feel like I've achieved something. And then, of course, let's see what happens after that. So if, if we talk about an expectation, I think it was realistic to expect it to do slightly better than my other posts, but not to go you know, crazy. So, so how would I have felt if it hadn't got the attention? 
I think I would have felt pretty shit about it. But I think also I was quite proud of myself for even having done it. I mean, it's not like, you know, I'm, I'm going and punching my boss in the face or I'm, or I'm tearing up my practice certificate or something like that. But what I am doing is saying, if you as an industry define success as this, well, I'm not that anymore. And if I define myself as this, I'm not that anymore. So what the fuck am I? And that's what I said at the bottom. I said, I, 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 I don't know who I am anymore, basically, is what I said. And that was the most, that's the line that most people picked out was like, that hit them. Mm. When you're putting at the po bottom of this post, I don't know who I am anymore, you're reassessing who you are as a person. So I almost feel like when you put that post out, you're exposing your ego out to the world and you're seeing what, how are people going to respond. We'll get back to the episode in a second. Before that, I just want to say, if you think this episode would be useful to a friend, send it along. You never know, it might just be the exact thing they're looking for today. And now back to the show. Yeah, well, exactly that. But also, let's just do away with the crap. Like, you know, why am I hiding this? Why do I care what people think? Why? And obviously, I, I do care, but I'm asking myself, like, why? And quite a few people said to me, like, you know, it's really courageous to actually say, I don't know who I am anymore. So me as a lawyer, I'm just tearing that away and going, do you know what? I, I don't know who I am. I'm something. Maybe the world will tell me rather than me trying to tell the world. If I throw it out there, ideas will come to me. I think I got, I got really good from a young age at self-reflection, but also like just saying there's, there's worse going on. So let's just keep going sort of thing and kind of bouncing it, bouncing it, bouncing it. And as I've got older, I think things have affected me more, but I've still become really, I'm really adept at looking like nothing bothers me. I talk very positively about things. I talk positively about people. I don't leave much room in my life for negative thoughts or moaning or I don't watch the news and shit like that. I probably have been carrying quite a lot and I probably have been, um, not to say I'm some sort of, you know, amazing person. I, I mean the opposite in the sense I've been carrying a lot, but not really addressing it. And I've carried it for a lot of other people. And I've always been a kind of a bit of a fixer for people. And I've always been that person that people like latch onto when they're struggling because I can give them a perspective. But I think that over time, what I've done and looking back at my marriage, even what I did was I carried a lot for other people, but not, didn't really ever like, I pretended it was okay. I don't think I ever really went, is this all right? It's quite tiring as well, isn't it? You know, when you're, when you're pretending everything's okay and you're, it tired me out. I don't know about you, but it's really exhausting to not actually be who you authentically are. It is. And it's also stressful because you're kind of at war inside yourself. If you imagine the sort of the, the spectrum of the things that you have to be in your day-to-day -day life, you know, whoever it is, if some parts of those aren't real or you can't be real, so some parts are buried, you're constantly in a battle of what's going to come out and in what way subconsciously. Certainly in the last couple of years, a few years, I've recognized more and more that that, that ability to shroud myself in positivity and happy-go-luckiness has sort of worn quite thin. And, I, and I've become less good at pretending and also just less putting up with it. I think that's one of the reasons why I'm now separated because um, not to say that my, my wife was a, an unpleasant person, but we certainly didn't see eye to eye on certain things. And I felt that actually I was just doing a lot of supporting and there wasn't a lot of support the other way. And I, I decided actually, I, start, I started getting to the point where I was, I was kind of done with it. I just thought I, I'm, start, I'm starting to run out of energy in pretending that I can just carry all this stuff. The litmus test is the fact that I became a parent and, and I did not want 
that to start affecting my daughter. I wanted to have an authentic relationship, a proper trust relationship with my daughter. I wanted her to show her that you can be open and available and vulnerable and talk about things, particularly as she's grown up now. You know, we articulate our thoughts and feelings. And I thought, well, I need to be the best parent I can be, right? So I need to stop this bullshit. Mm. I was just thinking about the British men and it's a self-deprecating humour that we have as British men where we have a go at ourselves in a jokey way, douche, knobhead or whatever, but we kind of mean it to a degree, but we're just trying to cloud it in, oh, I'm just going to put some humour around this. But why, why do we do that? Why do you do that? I used to think I did it just to put people at ease because being a lawyer and being approachable, you know, are difficult to combine. So there is an element of enjoyment in being you know, the lawyer, so important, super important person, be serious. But I always like the fact that underneath that, I was always like this giddy little kid. And I think I'm still a giddy little kid in some ways. But because I knew that that wasn't normal, or at least it wasn't normal for the industry, I thought, well, how can I, how can I put other people at ease so they can see a little bit of me and have a little joke with them? But also, because really, it's, it, for me, I think it's real me coming out. I think it's that I think they're almost like little telltales where they so I'm, I'm telling on myself where I'm like I'm joking about this I'm not a real lawyer you know it's that kind of thing it's that kind of slightly behind the hand kind of like stage whisper going you can trust me I'm not one of those dickheads and so there's a little bit of that I think there is a little bit of insecurity there as well and that you're not going to get taken seriously so you may as well get ahead of the curve and put people at ease so they don't take you that seriously I also think it's self sabotage I think there's an element of self-sabotage in there as well, where you almost put yourself down because the, the, the lie is that I'm putting other people at ease all the time. The truth is that I'm putting myself at ease so that people don't expect too much from me. So I think I'm managing expectations because I don't want the pressure of someone saying, that guy's amazing, he's amazing. I find it very un or, or uncomfortable when people say, for example, you're really... Um, intelligent or you're really articulate I find um, compliments quite difficult like my girlfriend is very very vocal about how she finds me physically very attractive which you'd hope with a girlfriend they would but she's she really says it she makes a point of saying it she comes up and she's like oh you should amazing and I'm like I don't know what to do with that because I I'm the one who gives the compliments thank you very much <laughs> I'm like I'm the one I'll tell you you're sexy when I used to get compliments in the past I would almost kind of say oh no you're not right or i disagree with you and i would just bat them away and it took me a long time of actually improving my self-esteem to go off oh, thank you very much i would just make a joke out of it and then and i'd almost say you're wrong for saying that so i'm almost making the person feel bad that they've they've said that have you had that as well i don't think i've ever told someone don't say that to me or something like that. But I have, for example, with my government, I've gone, yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. you know, almost like I've gone, I, I'm making, I'm making light of it. Or if someone has said, this guy's really good at something, I've gone, well, only because the last guy, you know, died or something, you know, like I've sort of, I still shave the edges off. I still try to manage that expectation quite, quite a lot. Um, and I still kind of want to back people away from thinking I'm amazing in case I let them down. A really good analogy is in, in law, for example, there are, you know, you have these things like these awards, right? Where you say the greatest lawyer, you know, I'm 50 top lawyers or you're ranked in chambers and this kind of stuff. I, I personally dislike that 
because I think it's self-aggrandizing. And I know why people do it. I understand the concept of the industry saying, we've got to have a standard, blah, blah, blah. You, we, we all know how it works and there's referees and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, it's like buying a, an award at a table sort of thing. But I think it's good for people's egos to say, hey, I'm a top lawyer here, I'm a top lawyer. For me, it makes me want to be sick in my own mouth because I, I can't bear that for anyone, let alone myself. But for the thought that I would put myself forward as a ranked lawyer incident makes me so uncomfortable not not just because the weight of expectation although there is that it's also just that feeling of going i'm amazing so howard to wrap up then tell us did any of those job offers you got after the linkedin post lead to anything off the back of the first LinkedIn post, which was the kind of the really open one, and obviously subsequently since then, the CEO of the, the company that I will hopefully be joining very, very soon, they got hold of me and, and the CEO said, look, we love the values. We are absolutely looking for someone like you. We are driving change within the business and we are a family business. We've got these kind of values. We think you'll align with those. Also, there's been a lot of change recently. So although I'm going there to do a specific job in relation to sort of my legal acumen, a large part of this will also be helping drive that change and... Um, just you know have that authentic voice and then i asked and said specifically like you know one of my things i want to keep doing the linkedin stuff he was like knock yourself out and then he pointed me to a few other colleagues of his there who are smashing it on there and they're like we want everybody to have their own voice we want you to talk about your business your expertise we believe everybody has their own brand and their own offering their own perspective just go for it so i think that's amazing that you did one linkedin post went big and then you get a job from that yeah I do, but I, I think that actually there are lots of people looking for people who, to be honest, um, in this day and age, you know, look at our politics, don't want to get political, but we all know, we all, cons- well, our bullshitometers are going off like crazy right now. Everybody's bullshitometer is going off. So if you can speak any, even a, even a tiny bit of truth about how you feel or about industry or business or whatever, I think it resonates anyway, because we are in a sea of horseshit right now. So one of the most amazing things that came out of this was the fact that I got so many of these direct messages and some of them were, you know, a bit out there, a bit screwy, whatever. But one, so many of them was going, by the way, I don't want to comment on this. So I don't want my colleagues seeing it and I don't want my boss seeing it. So I can't say anything. I can't like your post, but that was amazing. And I thought to myself, isn't that incredible that they, even on LinkedIn, they, people are so uncomfortable with being themselves and being authentic that they don't even want to like the post. They don't even want to comment on it. They don't want, you know, and, and, these are relationships with people I've had for a long time. One in particular stands out, and I, I'll be very quick. Just she was someone who used to instruct me. And I don't have a personal relationship with her at all. She got in touch with me via the message and said, exactly that. I don't want people to see this. But what you said really hit home. I've been having a big thing recently. And, I, you know, this is someone I would go to to get work from, you know, very, very high up in a career, this and other. And she's like, I just, she said, I just can't say it out loud, but thank you so much. Howard's story made me think about the way that we view social media now. The love that we have for ourselves is constantly being wrapped up in how many likes, how much engagement we get on our posts. Social media is really changing the way that we see ourselves. Let's be honest with ourselves, it's undeniable that when we get likes and followers and compliments on our posts, we feel better about ourselves, we feel we have more confidence. So I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but there definitely needs to be some kind of balance there. Howard's story made me think that if you get a lot of engagement on a post and you feel amazing about yourself, you're then constantly looking for the next post. If your previous post went viral, you're then looking for the next viral post to outdo the one that you did before. 
So perhaps it's this never-ending cycle of constantly trying to do better than your previous post in order to feel happy. What if you never get that viral post again? What if you don't get many likes and comments at all? How do you feel about yourself afterwards? How much of our identity is tied up in our job? Should we put more emphasis on what we do outside of the nine to five? Howard got into law because he wanted to impress his parents. A lawyer equals intelligence in society. But it made me think, if he's not a lawyer, then what is he? Who is he as a person? I'm incredibly fortunate because I've never had any pressure from my parents to go into a particular career path. And it's a reminder that we're much more than what we do. So who are you without your work? It got me thinking, if you met someone new at a party and you weren't able to talk about your work, what would you say about yourself? Before you go, let me tell you about our man test. The team and I created it with the belief that every man has hidden, untapped potential and I want to help you discover what it could be. Let's face it, we've all got dreams and aspirations, but the stresses of life can get in the way. I know I've been there myself. As men, each one of us has skills and knowledge that sets us apart from the rest. It's about discovering what they are and making the most of them. The man test is simple, it takes less than three minutes and will help you discover your true strengths and talents by working out what kind of modern man you really are. Find the link in the show notes and take the man test today. You never know, you might just learn something new about yourself that you didn't know before.